Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Make It Plain. Mark Hey, Make It Plain family. This is producer Brittany, and I'm here today to introduce you to the next part in our series, Reparations Are Coming. In case you missed it, we are listening in on a conversation that was taking place as the reparations bill, H.R. 40, was getting marked up and eventually voted on by the Judiciary Committee. Mark moderated this panel that you're going to hear today, which expands on yesterday's topics but digs even deeper into the importance of passing the bill and the challenges that inevitably lie ahead. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and be sure to catch up on the first part of this discussion if you missed it yesterday. I see there are a few questions in the, in the Q&A. Um, if the panelists would also take a look at that, some of you may want to actually, you know, answer these in writing in case we don't get to them. But I want to go to one, whoever wants to answer, just to begin, because, again, I don't want to take for granted. A lot of people don't, uh, don't necessarily understand the process. And Anita simply asked, we've been using the term markup, but she's been asking, she's asking exactly what it is. What is a markup? Is anyone who'd like to expound on that and explain what it is, please? Anybody? Uh, yes. So a bill is introduced. There's a hearing on the bill. Then it goes to the committee for markup. Markup simply means all sides look at the bill, determine if they want to make any changes or any amendments or, or whatever. But it's marked up. It's literally marked up. It's brought together. Uh, people, uh, Members have the opportunity uh, to vote on it as it is, to make amendments, introduce amendments, make changes and, and the like. And then there's a vote that's held uh, on that marked up bill. And that vote is what ends up determining whether the bill will go out of committee so that it can go to the next step, which is um, um, consideration on the floor of the House or, or the Senate or whether it dies there in committee. Okay. So that's the stage that we are in at right now, markup. Okay. We have more co-sponsors going into markup than most bills 
even have going to the floor. We have 175 or, or so co-sponsors already just going into markup. So, so right, with that many co-sponsors, how can it not pass? I mean, how, how can it, it absolutely not pass when you have that many co-sponsors? The bill's got to pass, right? Well, they definitely have the votes to pass out a committee. Um, it's another situation with respect to on the House floor. We don't know what amendments, if any, are going to be introduced. But we are very confident and optimistic and inspired that there should be no other outcome other than um, uh, a favorable vote, not only out of committee, but on the House floor as well. Is anybody I'm add to that? Add to that, brother Mark. So yeah, we have the Democrats control the Judiciary Committee, control the Congress. So they have a, I think a 24 to maybe 18 um, seat difference on the Judiciary Committee. So we definitely have the votes. I think that we have every Democratic Judiciary Committee uh, Congress person who's also a co-sponsor to the bill, but perhaps just one. So there's no question this bill will make it out of the uh, Judiciary Committee. Uh, we don't know as of right now what uh, amendments may be uh, added to the bill as the impeachment stated, uh, but we need 218, a simple majority in the House to get this bill passed. And that's practically every Democratic congressperson. So, you know, we are extremely hopeful. We're extremely optimistic. Let me just say that we're extremely optimistic that this bill is gonna be passed in the House, but there's a lot of work still ahead to make that happen. And I want people to think that just because they make it out of the judiciary, we have to stop working. The, the, the work gets harder because those who have not signed on, the 40 or so who have not signed on, are holdouts for some reason or another, and we have to find out why. And then we have to put, uh, persuade them and influence them to make sure that uh, when this vote is, is, when this bill is brought to the floor of the House, that they do in fact vote yes. So it's not, you know, a slam dunk. This bill is going to be passed. There's a tremendous amount of work that we have to do. Everyone who's on this webinar, and that's why we in COVID, that's one of the primary purposes of this webinar is not only to inform our community what's happening, but to enlist the support uh, that, that is going to be needed for us to take this to the next step. And that is to push this bill to the Senate floor. Joy has a question. Can anyone address Joy's question in the Q&A? Nadler's amendment in the nature of a substitute. Is anyone that can speak to that at all? Um, it, yes. Um, it basically is the bill that the sponsor, uh, in collaboration with others, might have updated, you know, a mainly technical type of updates so it can be ready for consideration for markup. So the amendment in the nature of a, a substitute isn't really a substitute bill. It basically is the same bill, HR 40, with like technical type updates. Okay, okay. Um, so uh, we we please. are aware of a couple of, Mark, if I can, we are aware of a couple of amendments to the HR 40 bill uh, that was shared with us uh, that will be introduced tonight. One would be uh, the uh, appropriation would be increased from $13 million to $20 million. I know that uh, Sheila Jackson Lee and others felt that the $13 million was not enough for us to have the type of commission study uh, and uh, proposal process of working out these proposals that are necessary. And so that was increased. I also 
saw that two other commissioners were added. Uh, the Senate will also uh, get to choose three as the House is able to choose three commissioners. So at, at first there was one and now it's three for the Senate on the Senate side. And so I know those amendments and I believe the uh, time frame of the commission has been extended to 18 months. It was a 12 year commission and I believe that uh, it will be extended to 18 months. And so those are the, the amendments that the uh, Democrats in the judiciary wanted to proceed with uh, in a bill that goes to the full house floor. Uh, Pamela, feel free to, to help me as, as you look in either the chat or the Q&A. Those of you who have questions, do us a favor. We prefer you put them in the Q&A so we'll know exactly what's the question as opposed to a comment. And I'm going to ask all the panelists and Sister Jam, just kind of look at those as they come in and we'll try to address um, uh, some of them. I, I'm, I'm going to call on Dr. Daniels again for a minute, though, because something he and I were talking about on the phone. And I had some other conversations with people today because, you know, it, it, it's like these white police don't care that there's a trial going on. They're going to kill some of us anyway. They just killed Dante. We just saw the video of what happened to the brother uh, in, in Windsor, Virginia, the lieutenant. Uh, Donovan Lynch killed at the end of March in, in Virginia Beach, um, a story that has not blown up yet, but a brother died in custody uh, in the Texas correctional system just for having some weed. They put a hood over his head and suffocated him. I mean, so so this is happening. Dr. Daniels, I, I don't think we can say too much. Enough has not been said. We think talk about reparations. First thing we think about is a period of enslavement. But this commission will also look at the vestiges right. of, of enslavement. And that is what has happened since enslavement and what is going on today with modern day lynchings, correct? Absolutely. And let me just quickly say that um, um, it's interesting that the amendments that have been put forth are expansions, they're not contractions. And we just have to also salute Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee. I mean, she has been absolutely on a mission, a warrior woman. She sees this as a part of her legacy. She always talks about Congressman Conyers and being mentored by him and, and owing him uh, this moment. And she has just been relentless, you know, laying out the concept of why we can't wait, which was picked up by Human Rights Watch and expanding that to over 400 organizations who've now signed on and whatever. So I just wanted to, and I know we all feel that way, but I just want to make sure that we give her a shout out for her courageous and visionary leadership. And yes, uh, Reverend Mark, it is important because, you know, around the country, around Evanston, some people said, well, this is, this is not reparations because it's not about enslavement. But from the very beginning, even, this, even the initial bill that was written included, if I'm right, Reverend, uh, Reverend Joanne and others, the notion that it's about enslavement, but it's also about all of the derivative vestiges and, and what the 13th Amendment called the badges and indicia of slavery. And so, and Reverend Watson laid some of those out, the Homestead Act, the GI Bill. I mean, our, our people were deprived systematically of, of benefits that went to white folks. I mean, this was not, this was not accidental, intentionally, now, even social security in its early uh, phase. FHA, which built the suburbs, the whole notion of a castle where your wealth is predicated. We were not, we did not have access to that. And certainly redlining and urban renewal, uh, the Negro removal program of the 21st century, now gentrification. And of course, on, in, in terms of criminal injustice, 
I mean, from the slave patrols to the to this very moment, I mean, the vicious, constant state-supported lynching and killing of our people warrants reparations. So it is all of these uh, the, these these crimes that have been committed that have to be healed. And so it's very important that all who are listening also be clear about that. And I guess the final thing I just maybe just want to say also is that when it comes to particularly these latter categories, we have people who are, you know, making an issue of trying to find interesting ways to determine who and who should not get reparations. Well, when Amadou Diallo was slaughtered here in the, in the city of New York, they did not ask him what his identity was. They didn't ask him, was he a descendant of the original, quote unquote, I mean, so I think that that you know, if you're moving into a community that's underdeveloped, that's suffering from redlining and 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 certainly mass incarceration, as um, has been outlined in the New Jam Crow, then you're being victimized. You are a victim, and as such, you are eligible, if you will, for reparations. And finally, we take that position too because we are Pan-Africanists. Um, Sister Nkichi talked about it. We come from a revolutionary Pan-Africanist position, and we are not about to back away from that in some kind of nativist retrograde way of trying to support these right-wing reactionaries who are lining up trying to divide us. So I just wanted to just drop that as a part of the conversation too. More MIP after this message. Just to follow up on that, um, Dr. Daniels and, and others, um, part of, you raised up Evanston. And so there became this whole argument around local reparations. If we go after local reparations that could harm our justice claim for national reparations or harm HR 40. Um, so would anybody uh, like to speak to that and other forms of like misconceptions or misinformation that has been spread about the movement to make HR 40 law? Well, I'll start quickly and I'll, I'll pass it to Cam, <laughs> frankly, but I mean, first of all, we are proud that the National African-American Reparations Commission certified Evanston and worked with another visionary, you know, brilliant um, older woman, Robin Ruth Simmons, to, to make this happen. We worked with her to shape it and the definitions, the criteria and whatever. And, and if you go to the website, it still says the National African-American Reparations Commission still endorses the, the uh, Evanston uh, reparations initiative. And Robin Ruth Simmons is, when our term is, is concluded, as people know, will be joining the National African-American Reparations Commission uh, as a uh, commissioner. And, and there's no, and, and in fact, the, the case can be made, and I'm passing it to Cam, because Cam has already made this argument extraordinarily well, that as opposed to weakening the struggle for federal reparations, it actually strengthens it. So I'll, I'll just pass it on to, 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 El, to my captain. Most definitely, Dr. Daniels, we believe that all the local reparations initiatives, not just Evanston, but Evanston has inspired around the country, uh, definitely pushes the federal government into action. And we've had this you know, history of local actions pushing the federal government to respond to national interests of our community. Uh, the civil rights uh, actions in the 1960s and 50s and 60s was the gold of the president to and Congress to uh, support and pass civil rights legislation, civil rights bill, the Voting Rights Act, the uh, Fair Housing Act, those legislations that uh, led 
uh, blacks to be entered into the middle class. All of that was a result of nonviolent civil, civil disobedience happening in small towns, large cities, in the South, in the North, in the West, all around the country. And it was because of that action, we got this federal legislation. We're seeing the same thing with Evanston because what Evanston did and what they've inspired, it inspired federal legislators who had not spoken out on reparations to even sign on as a co-sponsor, to step forward and speak to this issue that yes, here in my city, here in my district, Blacks are awful, also suffering from the exact same things. And now they've signed on HR 40, the federal legislation to address it for us nationally. So we have a, a tremendous amount of historical um, examples of how local initiatives push federal initiatives and the Evanston model, the Evanston initiative is doing exactly that. And our Congresswoman, our national leaders, Sheila, Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee has stated that emphatically. And we're witnessing that ourselves having uh, been a part of working on the local level as well as the national level. Yeah, and, and let me add something to that, uh, Cam. You know, uh, I think there's been like unnecessary critique of uh, Evanston, like as if, you know, it really isn't reparations. It, it, it's like a housing bill and all of this stuff like that, which is really unnecessary. You know, thousands of years ago when I was like five or six years old and Brown versus Board was uh, passed, you see, you know, I, I remember as a little child, people saying, well, it only, you know, desegregated K through 12, you know, it didn't deal with university. But like you just said, Cam, after a few years, we started seeing the University of Mississippi and, we, you know, who can forget if you're that old, remember Wallace standing in front of the door of the University of Alabama. So we have to look at movements as happening in stages and it's, it's more dynamic than static. So I hope that the criticism of uh, Evanston is just lessened because it's really unnecessary. Well, it, it, go ahead, Nikisha, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I was just gonna say when um, in COVID first um, started and when John Conyers first introduced the bill, that's what I consider the first wave. We were very much instrumental in getting uh, local jurisdictions, um, uh, cities to sign on in support of HR 40. They were signing on in support of the federal bill. That was 30 years ago. Now we've taken leaps forward. Robin Ruth Simmons is, is in, in the, um, uh, the attendees now, I saw her name in there of the over 200 people that have signed on to this uh, broadcast. She took it much further. She actually looked at a funding stream, earmarking tax revenue from the city's legal cannabis industry, um, uh, poetic justice in and of itself, to fund reparations initiatives. And the first one was dealing with housing. That's only a drop in the bucket. Out of the $10 million earmark, that was only 400000 So for people to say that that was the end all is absolutely and completely uh, incorrect. We have amalgamated banks coming out in support of reparations. We have the Jesuits designating 100 million towards the, the crime against humanity with respect to uh, the selling of the 272 um, uh, enslaved um, people. We have the Virginia and Princeton theological uh, seminaries. I mean, the Players Association of, of, of you know, sports folk across leagues, Ben and Jerry's ice cream. I mean, corporations, industries, um, academic institutions, 
city states, the state, the state of California has modeled a bill, passed a bill based on HR 40. So we will see more and more of this and we will see more and more creative ideas because the harm, I will end with this, the harm was so multifaceted. The remedies must be multifaceted as well. More MIP after this message. And amen. We've been joined by uh, Professor Greg Carr of, of Howard University. We've also been joined by uh, Alderperson Robin Ruth Simmons uh, from Evanston. So we'll give Robin a minute to get her camera on and get going. But let's go ahead and, and bring Dr. Greg Kamati Carr on. Um, and Greg, we just, this is informal. So I had raised a question because, you know, it's no point in, in not dealing with this in a relative and current context. The, they, in spite of the international coverage of the George Floyd trial, Rem Joanne, I have done more international television interviews in the past week than I ever have in my life. The BBC, the Times of London, uh, Good Morning Britain, the whole world is watching this trial because the whole world is saying, wait a minute, we all saw the video like everybody else. What's the, we don't understand what, what's the issue. This should just be over, overnight. And we can't, Dr. Carr, talk about rep reparations and leave out the current context. So I raised the question about vestiges and how this legislation would deal with vestiges of enslavement and how important that is. The toll is still rising. So every day they don't do this and something else happens to another African-American, African American, it adds to the toll of injustices and traumas that are committed against us. Would you not agree, Dr. Carr? And welcome. Welcome, uh, no, brother. Thank you. First of all, thank you, brother uh, Matsumela. And thank you, Jam. Thank you for everyone who organized this. And I'm glad to see everyone. I came in as a uh, as our Jegna, Dr. Wall, uh, Dr. Um, Daniels was uh, was was, was continuing finished up his statement. So, and I, and I can imagine what you said, Dr. Winbush, Brother Ray, uh, just given what you just responded to. I'll keep this very brief. Vestiges, though the language is so so critical. I've had the occasion to revisit Carji Woodson, Miseducation of the Negro, and I went back to his 1918 book, A Century of Negro Migration, where Woodson says. This migration north has just started. So I can't really talk about that except to put it in the context of the last century of us moving. And so he goes through the debates on whether we should lead a country, the immigration debates. It's not one of his better known books. It's the second book he published after the Education of the Negro prior to 1861. But, but I'm bringing all that up to say this. In the Miseducation of the Negro, Woodson, after 40-something years of work, in his late 50s, says, we missed the mark. We, we went off track. And how did that happen? We, at the moment, poised after the Civil War and during Reconstruction of being able to frame what we needed for ourselves, surrendered too much of our agenda, what should have been developing as our agenda, to the needs of this country, who then slotted us into an educational system that serves its purpose. And so that now the Black elites aspire to whiteness. Oh, he's he's devastating. I mean, we all know that, but I, I would encourage, I'm saying I'd say this, uh, Mark, the language is so important. I would say we should at this point surrender the word vestige. These are not vestiges. And, and you know, some people use the word afterlives of enslavement. I'm not even sure that they're afterlives because enslavement as a system never ended. Yes, de facto. <laughs> I mean, yes, de jure enslavement. But I mean, Ray, you're making this point all the time, but 
And, and so when we start talking about reparations, think of the absurdity of asking, demanding reparations from your utter enemy. Okay, so let's just let's just surrender that as an absurd because what is really happening finally is, and I'm glad you know I heard the whole conversation. I can't wait to you know to to, to again hear this whole conversation from Sister Simmons about what's going on. Everson, I agree, it's going to be local, national. There is no country called the United States as a national concept. This notion of reparations is being tied to an entity that doesn't exist except as a nation state in a structural war for people trying to avoid last place in it. So the international shock that there's a trial, brother, if you're in the United States and understand white supremacy, then you understand that the defense in that courtroom in Minneapolis has got one objective. I need one person on that jury, one white person to say, to, in the words of Sylvia Winter, there were no humans involved. And in other words, my job on this jury is to defend whiteness. So everybody thinking logically, if you don't understand, there is nothing called the United States. There's a white supremacist settler project whose job is to extend itself. Now, how does that relate to reparations? I done watched all day 1333 getting marked up, waiting on HR 40. And I'm glad I did because hillbillies like Jim Jordan, I forgot Daryl Issa was still, Issa was still in the damn legislature. They are defending whiteness to the last dog dies on the question of immigration. Hmm. So when they turn to HR 40 lady tonight, their objective is to defend whiteness. And so our agenda must never be to put all of our eggs in the basket of an appeal to something called the United States as a national project. Our strategy should be to dismantle this with the reparations demand from the local level, from wherever we can and whatever blows we can. And as that's, that momentum mounts, if the thing wants to continue, it will have to surrender, whether it be through the federal legislature, whether it be if they can't get the 60 votes in the Senate, Biden appointing a commission, which I suspect some of our people who want to go left have already been in the ear of the executive branch trying to get some other kind of alternative policy thing going. Never underestimate Negroes who never fought, but when they look like going to be a victory, jump in the front of the line and start whispering. I, that is a very real threat. But I'm saying ultimately they're going to be concessions because the criminal enterprise called the United States is not going to be able to sustain itself much longer without concessions. And so we need to be preparing for that. And that should be our framework for the for the pushing through tactically, even if HR 40 doesn't pass and we're going to claim that it is going to pass at some point. Thank you, Dr. Carr. Evanston uh, came up. And so we do well now to hear uh, from uh, the Evanston alderman who helped to see that legislation through and give us a, a glimpse of it. We've been talking about vestiges, obviously. Uh, can, can I say something first, though, just to just to understand something? People, Dr. Winbush, and Dr. Daniels, who argue what is and what isn't reparations, and then argue that it's only one thing and should only encompass one check. I, I want y'all to think about something for a minute. People got their rescue checks. That money's gone as soon as you got it. In an economy like this, that's what happens. So you give all of us a check. In an economy like this, people losing jobs, nothing happening. We got to spend that money right away. That's not the establishment of repair and recovery of generational wealth. So it can't just be a doggone check by itself. Any 
so-called black person. This is just me talking. I'm speaking for myself. I'm not speaking on behalf of these other organizations. I'm going to get nobody else in trouble. But listen, any black person or person pretending to be black because you can't tell who some of these trolls are on social media, whether they're black or not. Think about this. I want to ask a question. Why would you listen to any so-called person, black person otherwise, who wants to minimize what we're owed? Think about that. Uh-uh. We only want people that can prove they have direct descendant from a slave to get a check. As much as we've done for this country and continue to do, doesn't that kind of raise a red flag that a black person is talking about? We shouldn't be giving as much. We shouldn't be as expansive as we ought to be and deal with vestiges and deal with institutional and generational wealth. Y'all to ask yourselves that, why would anybody say that unless they were acting out some other agenda? I'm just gonna put that out there. Why? They didn't ask Amadou Diallo, Dr. Daniels is right. That we need reparations for what just has happened in the past week with brother Dante. And it's gonna happen again before this bill is passed. People need to understand that's going to continue to happen. So when we look at Evanston, and the people saying, well, did, did that deal with slavery? No, it, it, vestiges flow from slavery. Everything that we are seeing today that is ongoing is, is, is one of the wicked and evil offspring of the original system of enslavement. All right, I'm through. Uh, Robin Rue Simmons, I apologize, y'all. Uh, awesome. Alderman Simmons, God bless you. Yeah. Thank you for being here. Happy to be here. I was here tonight as a student, um, really grateful to be embraced in the movement and, and play my part, um, understanding from one of my mentors in Evanston, Judge Lionel Jean-Baptiste, that the work is cumulative, that I'm only able to lead today because of the work of so many that come um, before me. So like I've heard before, I'm just grateful um, to be in the room and to do my part in Evanston. Uh, what we've done is important. It is, in fact, reparations. And we've been getting beat up. It's not reparations. It's not what it is, in fact, is reparations as the city of Evanston owes its Black community. It is the egregious acts from the city of Evanston. It is not to compete with H.R. 40. It is not to replace it. It's not even a chattel enslavement reparations. It is, however, um, a reparation for anti-Blackness. It is for documented, verifiable, measured theft um, of the Black community, and it is in the way to um, repair that harm. We have a lot of work to do, and we understand we're doing it in full support of H.R. 40, which we supported in 2002 under the leadership of Judge Lionel Jean-Baptiste, and we will continue to uh, support it while we continue do, to do our work in Evanston, understanding that it's incremental, but understanding that we need to move forward um, in the urgency of now. Uh, because reparations are overdue at a local level in Congress and institutions. There are many institutional accomplices that should be joining us and not critiquing uh, what we're doing in Evanston. And to the intellectuals that say it's it's not reparations, it's, it's incredibly short-sighted that I have to conclude that it's intentionally misleading because it's obviously uh, reparations. But thank you. Um, I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, 
It has been made plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.